Well, peace be with you. I'm Matt. Um, if you're visiting, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and I've been on sabbatical for a couple months, and so I've been grateful for that. It's good to be back. I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to see you. Um, I've missed you terribly, and, um, but my time has been really great, and um, I've got a lot to say about that, and I won't do that today. Uh, it's this day. It's not about me coming out of silence and obscurity. It's about Jesus coming out of the tomb. Amen? So we'll do that instead. Um, I have an image for us. Put that image up. Terp, yeah. I know it's not the best. I took that this morning. There wasn't a lot of prep in this. Um, so that is, those are blooms. Um, you're seeing some, I'm sure, around your, wherever you live. And that's a plum tree bloom. I planted that tree last year. I'm so pumped. It, it made it. Yeah. Right? It made it. Thank you. Thank you. Last year, I planted a bunch of trees uh, last summer because we all did weird stuff in quarantine life. And um, I did some trees, and so I was so, I, I watched those trees so carefully over the first uh, few weeks and months, just making sure they looked like, and I didn't know what I was doing. I, as you probably have guessed, I'm not a botanist, and so I don't know anything, so I was watering them, I was kind of reading, and I was going to, you know, they're, they're, re- they're rather tall f- for saplings, I guess, I, eight, f- ten feet tall, and I was going to stake them in the ground because I wanted to make sure they didn't topple over, and I, did, I wanted to make sure that they, they, they grew straight and all that stuff, just using common sense, and then I was like reading this little b- book um, on trees, <laughs> and then I was reading about wind and saplings, and I was discovering that, you know, you don't necessarily want to do that. Um, actually, um, when you get them in the ground after you do that and you water them, uh, one of the things about wind and trees is, is that wind, when wind hits uh, young saplings, it causes the plant to release this hormone called auxin. If, are there any botanists in the room? Please don't raise your hand because I will be so embarrassed because you should be up here doing this lecture. But um, auxin, what I've read about it is that it supports growth and the, the stem is growth and supports uh, the plant system as it grows. It, it supports the root system and the, and the stem as it grows. And so, fascinating, which, this is fascinating to me. What's fascinating about that is, is that the very thing that puts the tree under stress, wind, is the very thing that causes it to grow strong. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Happy Easter. You know something about trees. Uh, it has something to do with, you know, as the tree kind of sways and gets put under pressure, naturally what happens is those roots tend to, um, if they're healthy, they tend to want to reach out. And grab on. Yeah, see? Not again. So, uh, I, so I didn't stake them. <laughs> uh, but, you know, this principle, this, this little principle applies, of course, only if the trees are planted safely in the ground. Uh, there was a few weeks, you know, when I bought those trees, they were still in, the, like, the burlap sack or whatever and sitting on the patio. And about every other day, a, a gust of wind would come through and blow them over. And that certainly would have killed them. Too many times of that. So it, it, of course, needs to be in its proper place, rooted into the ground. Now, I thought a lot about that principle over the last year. Uh, as I sat in the backyard or when I'm playing with the kids in the backyard, the past year, your past year, my past year, was has been this cauldron, right, of unmet desires. And uh, it's just been this cauldron for uncertainties and disagreements. I'm sure you've played no part in any of that. Uh, but if you haven't felt your anxiety peak over the last year, you should be a consultant. You can make a ton of money. 
uh, in teaching us all how to remain calm in the midst of so much uncertainty. And um, so this world, you know, um, has this little phrase, something similar to my tree principle. Uh, you know, it's famous, right? That which doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, that's so not true. It's not, because if you think about it, and I've experienced this this past, over the last year, that's not true. Actually, that which doesn't kill you can actually make you angrier and more bitter and more filled with resentment, you know, or more filled with fear, you know. Some of these things, the stress, the pressure, the high heat, whatever you want to call it, that you go under at times can actually drive you deeper into sorrow or sadness or, like I said, we go into anger fantasies, whatever it is that we've done over the last year. And so, uh, when I've looked at this past year, I've thought about that a whole lot. Stress, pressure, difficulty, fear, they can make you grow up. They can help you grow up into the thing that you were created to be, which is awesome. It can refine you, they can strengthen you, and they can bring you gratitude, they can bring love and peace uh, into you. It all, of course, depends on what you're planted in, right? It all, of course, depends on what you're rooted in. Uh, as much as this past year has been full of trials and tragedy and uncertainty, it's also a year asking us a lot of questions. That's why I've kind of been thinking about it. This past year has been asking you a lot of questions. Questions like, uh, questions concerning deeper, harder questions, like uh, about your anger, your, your sense of your obsessive control, um, your, your anxiety, or your, what is it that really gets you worked up, your fears, all of these things. Um, it's asked us all a lot of those questions. And I think it's asked some really hard questions like what it is that you live for. You know? What is it that you really want? And I think a simple and concise way of putting it for this morning is it's asking us what is our ultimate hope in? You know, being able to shop freely, uh, being able to not worry about viruses, being able to not argue over politics, whatever it is. When you feel the things like anger, fear, bitterness, resentment, deep anxiety well up in you, which I'm sure you have because you're human like me, where do you go in your mind? Now, Let's read 1 Peter. 1 Peter is this little letter in the, at the very end of the Bible, if you're not familiar with it. There's a great sentence there that talks about this issue. There's this great juggernaut passage in, in 1 Peter um, written to the early churches um, about hope and where to go in your mind when you're stressed, when you're full of anxiety, when you're under trial. Um, and so if you're a Bible person, you can, you know, turn there. If you brought yours, there's maybe one in the seat in front of you. Or you can turn it on if you're an app person. That's fine, too. And you can just stay seated. You all look wonderful in your Easter outfits. Um, and what I'm going to do is read 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3, looking down to uh, verse 9. All right, so here, here's what he says. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Mm, Let's pray. Father, thank you for that. And thank you for this morning, the opportunity to gather both here in person and those at home and online. We love them and we're thankful for them. May your spirit dwell in their homes and in their hearts as well as right here this morning. Thank you. Thank you that you ripped a hole in this world and you brought possibility and hope because of the resurrection. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, If you're not familiar with that passage, that's crazy. He is just, Peter is coming undone when you read that. Like, it's actually, he doesn't really, we had to try to make sense of it for us grammar people. Any grammar people in the room? This is actually in the original. It's all one long run-on sentence. He just doesn't stop. He just keeps going. No periods. We added all of that to try to make sense of us and and, and for us in in the English. Um, But Peter wrote this to, um, the Apostle Peter wrote this to scattered Christians all over Asia Minor. Think of modern-day Turkey. They're scattered all, all around there. He's writing to them. He's heard about them in various trials. We don't know exactly what. Um, They were frequently facing hardships. We can only speculate as to what kind of hardships they were. Um, Most speculate, most scholars speculate, they're just facing everyday verbal abuse from their neighbors, their their uh, non-God-believing neighbors. It's interesting. Uh, These first century Christians were actually called atheists. Isn't that interesting? You know why? Like Polycarp, the first century bishop, wrote about this. It's because they didn't believe in the Greek gods at the time. I mean, they paid their taxes, they were, they, were, they were regular citizens of the day in Greek society, but because they didn't subscribe to this idea that Caesar was divine, they called them atheists, and they didn't like them. And very often, they just endured a ton of verbal abuse for that. Um, and so, so Peter is writing to them to encourage them. He, 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 he's written this letter that we just read, this first bit of this letter, roughly a few decades probably um, following his own experience with the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And um, now think about this. This is really interesting. Uh, just a few decades after Jesus dies and resurrects, and Peter's been a part of all of that, he's had a few decades to reflect on that. And when he is thinking about and writing to Christians like you and like me, and he's saying, hey, if you're struggling, I've had like 30 years to think about this. Here's what you should think about and focus on. What's he say? The resurrection. That's what he's saying. Focus on the resurrection. He's saying, Peter is essentially saying, are you tired? Are you stressed? Do you feel lost, depressed? Do you feel overwhelmed by fear, loss, sadness, shame, or anger? Do you feel any of those? Peter says, think about the resurrection. 
Would that be your first answer to the quiz, like the Bible quiz? You might say, no, love, forgiveness. Like, God loves you. I want you to think about that. Not, not, those are great answers, by the way, and they're not really wrong. But Peter says, think about the resurrection. Fill your heart with it. Imagine it. It's right there at the beginning. See, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's just excited right here. He's so excited. According to his great mercy. This ain't, this ain't because of you or me. He's just decided to be kind to us. He has caused us to be born again. He's given you a new opportunity to a living hope. <laughs> not a great hope, not an awesome hope, not a helpful hope, a living hope. It's dynamic and active. It causes you to mature if you get it in you. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are, guard, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. If you're having a bad day, bad month, bad year, more than just another strategy or a better therapist or a better diet will do it for you. And by the way, I've tried all three. They're great. Yeah? Diet's good. Therapist's good. You know? Good books on strategies and tips. Great. Love those two. I love them. They will not fill you with hope like the resurrection can. Why? Well, here's why. Because the resurrection provides a certainty where you need it the most. All right? And I'll just give you a couple. You ready? You with me? You okay? Just a couple. Here's a couple certainties about the resurrection that I think you need, and I need for sure. And they're just fascinating to think about. One, the resurrection means this. You've got more than just words of love and forgiveness from God. More than just words. You actually have a receipt. A receipt. Think about this. There's a little throwaway line in the book of Romans, uh, chapter 4, verse 25. It's almost like throwaway, but it's like huge. And, and Paul, Paul, Paul wrote that. Paul says something like this in 1 Corinthians 15 as well. But he says this. He's talking about, about Jesus' resurrection. And he says that Jesus was, quote, delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So, so you've heard, hopefully, and if you haven't, let me make sure you know this. Many of us have probably heard that Jesus came to give his life as a substitute, right, for you and for me. For our sin. He, 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 that that um, on the cross, what he was doing, and we talked about this a little bit on, on, on Friday night, on, on Good Friday. On the cross, he was absorbing all the injustice. That's what he's doing. He, all the injustice of the world that I've brought to the world, my selfishness, my pride, every bit of it. Like he's taking it all on. Like the wrath of God that's fully deserved because the world's messed up. And, and, and he's, he's absorbing it all into himself. So strange and so powerful and, and tragic. And we've heard this. Um, and he's done all this, of course, to pay the, the bill, the, 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 like the debt that, that I owed, that you owed. That's what the cross represents. And, 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 and we celebrate that and we think about that. We, maybe we cry about that and that's all fine and, and, and good and true. Um, but what's the proof that payment was received? You know what I mean? The gospel, the good news, it's not good news with just the death. No matter what you hear about it. The gospel's good news because there was a death for you and for me, for my debt. And then he was raised to prove payment was accepted. You know what I mean? Is this, 
That's what the resurrection is. It's the proof that God is satisfied. I mean, if Jesus doesn't come out of the tomb three days later, right, then it's just another really tragic story. But because he did walk out of the tomb, then it means that God has been satisfied. His wrath is satisfied. He doesn't have any anger anymore. The resurrection is this cosmic receipt of God's approval. Receipts, remember those things? No, we still, you still use them. You have them because now there's alarms at the doors of stores, and you're always worried that you're going to be the one that sets it off. And what would happen if you did? You'd have to be like, uh-uh, I got it. I paid, right? I'll tell you a little secret. You ready? Don't think less of me for this. I have this little honorary membership to a little local golf club called Wildwood. It's down the road. Don't ask me why I have this honorary membership. I'm telling you, I didn't do anything to get that. The GM, you know, the guy that runs that place, he contacted me and said, I want to give you and your family a free membership, which is funny because I don't even golf. So my wife golfs, and she loves that. I think it also had something to do with Chris and our children's ministry director was on the board at the time. And she was like, I know a guy. Um, So uh, the first couple years, we would go there to eat. Um, I've literally never golfed there. We've been members there for years. The first couple years, we would go there to eat dinner at the clubhouse. And there was always this horribly awkward moment when I got the bill. Because the server, what happens, the, the waiter, the waitress comes to the table and says, you know, here's... Like, here's your bill. Um, and what they ask you for when you're ready to pay is, like, what, what's your membership number? I ain't have a membership number. I don't have a membership number. Like, this was some backdoor agreement where they were like, you're in. Don't worry about it. Just show up. So I'm like, you sure about this? So then there would always be this, I'm like, oh, I hate this. So I would be, like, at the table, and then he or she would be like, wait, so you don't, what do you mean you don't have a membership number? And I'm like, well, it's like this thing. This, like the guy, you know, your boss, so he like says that I can come whenever I want because I'm a pastor. And you know what I mean? And they, and, and like there was, there will be so many times when the, the server would be like, I, this is ridiculous. And I would watch them go look for the GM and have this like conversation. And I'm sitting there and then he's looking at me and, and look, sir. And then there would be like this divine nod. He's fine. He's fine. Yeah. Which would partially always give me this little bit of like, I told you. You don't know who I am. You better ask somebody. So um, it was super awkward. Now look, it's a silly analogy for something profoundly important that I'm obviously trying to tell you on Easter. You don't have to rest on hearsay or claims about your love and your forgiveness. You have a resurrection, a bodily resurrection Paul says that he appeared to 500 plus people at one time. I don't know how he did that, but he did it. Like, it's proof. Like, when, when Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 15, he's like, look, he, he, guys, there's like 500 plus people that saw him bodily, a receipt, down, like paid for. If you don't believe me, I dare you, go ask him. See for yourself. So listen, I'm not, I'm not sure. Here's all I want you to hear from this point, right? I'm not sure what your parents said to you growing up. I'm not sure what your pastor or your Sunday school teacher said to you growing up or some friend that you've had over your lifetime has said to you growing up, God is not angry with you. He's not. Quite frankly, it'd be injustice. It would be unjust for him to be angry with you. Why? Because it's been paid for. 
It's been paid for. He ain't taking double payment. Why would he do that? So, this doesn't mean that he doesn't want us to change. Oh, no, no, no. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 10, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I love this right here. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I love that. And his grace toward me was not in vain. I love this kind of self-image, this healthy, gospel-centered self-image because Paul's like not ignoring the fact that what he did in the past, he, he, he stood around and had people killed or imprisoned. And he's like, None of, I'm not telling you this is fair, but by grace, the payment's been made. I'm a new person. I understand that it might be difficult for you. I understand that you may not like it. I'm not saying I deserved it. But by grace, I am what I am. It's just wrestling with God's grace. Doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to change. Don't hear me say that. But the change that he wants in me and you happens from shock of grace, not from the will of discipline. The shock of grace is what will actually change you. Not, not try harder because God's angry at you. Enough, enough of the fear-mongering with that business. It doesn't work. It's not just that it's not true. It doesn't work. Two, right? You guys all right? You still there? The resurrection means you've got a future, a future life that's not just better than your current life. It's a fully redeemed and reconciled future life. That's a lot. Okay, so, so check this out. Peter is beside himself, excited, talking about how God is guarding what he calls, that was, this was verse five, a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He's talking about the end right there, right? Um, the day of Jesus' return. We don't know when that will be. And, 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 and when he returns, he's going to complete this massive reversal. Like it, he's turning everything upside down, totally and fully. It's this massive plan of redemption. And Paul talks about, Paul himself talks about it in much more precise language than Peter here in 1 Corinthians 15. I keep bouncing there. This is in verse 21 through 24. And he says this, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of dead. So, so he, he kind of spells it out for us. For as in Adam all die, so Adam, first human, he brought a death sentence that you've inherited, I've inherited. So for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ, the perfect and fully human, right, shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Now, okay, so stop. Christ, the first fruits. That's an agricultural term in their day. Maybe it's for you too. Uh, an, ag an agricultural term, uh, first fruits is referencing the practice of bringing an initial sample of a much larger crop that's going to come. It's like taking a sample of the crop and saying, here's what it looks like, this is what it will be, and the rest is definitely going to come. It's here. So what Paul is saying is Christ is the first fruits, the sample of the image, the nature of what's fully going to come. Well, what's he refer referencing and referring to? You. Your resurrection. 
And then verse 24, then comes the end, he says, when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. And then I'll skip down. To, to, this is down in verse 49 of that chapter, same chapter. This is crazy. This is what he says. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, just like we are like Adam and Eve, where, where we mess up, we make mistakes, and then we blame shift, we don't take responsibility. It was the woman. You know, we do the same thing. That's, ever, that's like the definition of all of life. We make mistakes, and then we won't take responsibility for it. Well, we got it from our original parents. And so just like you inherited that, right, um, he says, just, ju- just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. That's fascinating. Think about that. Just, you don't have to overthink it, and you don't have to be like super philosophical or any of that. Stop right there. The man of heaven, he's talking about the resurrected Jesus. What do you know about the resurrected Jesus? Do you know anything about him? Like, just practically. The gospel according to John, he goes into like painstaking details about like strange stuff about the resurrected Jesus. Have you ever read that account? You can go there in John chapter 20. He came in peace, first of all, not emotional bitterness because he was killed. He came in peace. He wasn't angry with anyone. Um, he was apparently walking through walls, you know, because John talks about him showing up through locked doors, right? How does he do that? I don't know. So he can walk through doors, but he's not some kind of phantom, right? Why? Because he's eating fish. He's eating fish. He's like, I'm hungry. He's got some breakfast. And what else does he do? Do you remember? Touch. Touch me. So wait. Put it all together. I mean, it's purposeful. If you're like, are you stretching that? No, John's making that point. He's somehow physical, yet not physical like you. It's what the, the scholar N.T. Wright calls Jesus was transphysical. I think he made up that word. But, so, it's just this strange reality. He's somehow more physical, like a more perfect, beautiful physical body than he was originally. I mean, and, 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 and it's like, Jesus, is it Jesus? Yes, it's Jesus. But yet, in some ways, for some reason, like the guys on the road to Emmaus, like they, they, they don't recognize him at first. It's just this, so it's like it's Jesus, but yet he's different, but yet it's Jesus. Sorry, I'm way off the reservation. Uh, and if you remember, probably, like I said, most importantly, he's bearing the marks, the scars of the crucifixion, and that's fascinating. So what I'm trying to simply say is that by faith in Jesus... By faith in Jesus, what God did for Jesus on Easter, he's going to do to you. Uh, I'm way off the reservation when I'm speaking into these things because this is deeply mysterious and I can't fully explain them. But your future, your future includes a bodily resurrection. Some of you probably don't know that. It's true. A bodily resurrection. In the last day, Paul at least goes into great detail to argue over this point. And that you will one day inherit the kingdom of heaven here on earth. It's going to come down and it's going to renew everything. And it will be material, but perfect. All things will be made new, but very physical. And I think in some way you will bear the memory of all the trials and sufferings that you've been through. 
Now, my point is this. Will you be overwhelmed with sadness and grief over them? Oh, no, no, no. That's how redemption works. It's like Jesus had the scars, but they weren't sources of, of sadness for him. They were sources of joy. It was all incorporated in. Redemption and reconciliation involves taking the, the base, right? The base model, the original. The, the, what is broken, what's condemned, what's sad, ugly, beat up, and not destroying it, right? But incorporating that original into something beautiful. And that's what makes it more beautiful. I'm simply trying to say that your future in Christ at the day of his return isn't just better and more glorious than what you experience now, although it will be that. It doesn't just, it won't just make things okay, like somehow heaven or the new kingdom is going to be a consolation for the suffering that you've experienced. That's not how the Bible, I think, portrays it. It's much better. It's like somehow, and I admit I don't know how, but somehow everything that you've been through, it'll all fit. It'll all make sense, and it will drive you deeper into joy. I think, which later, I'm not getting into this, I would love to, but in 1 Peter 1, he, he describes how the angels, the angels who have not experienced the suffering and the trials that you have, long to look at the grace that you've received. I think, theory, don't, don't email me, theory. I actually think when you show up, angels are going to say, what was it like to suffer and not see him and still believe in him? You know the word there, when it says they long to look, do you know it's the word for lust? The angels lust, searching for what it must be like to be you. Now you're like, well, they can have it. <laughs> That's fascinating. They don't know what it's like to bear the marks and still hold on and still believe and still hope and then to one day see it all fit together and praise him through tears. It's fascinating. All of it will be more reason for praise and more reason for the shock and the mercy of his power his justice, there's the creativity of God. This is the living hope that Peter is talking about. He's conjuring up for people that are having a tough time. That's Christian hope. It's not like any other hope that's out there. Uh, so what can you do with it? Like, how do you activate it? Just two really quick things. For one, here's what I say, and as we wrap up. One, root yourself or keep showing up to a community of people that praise the resurrection hope. And to be fair, we probably at the Oaks should talk about the resurrection more than we do. We always talk about the death. Most churches do. They're always like, death, death, death. Wonder if we should talk about the death. We should also talk about the resurrection all the time. In all circumstances, you should be in that community, especially when you're in a time of trial, sadness, grief, confusion, anger, or what feels like spiritual lostness. Even if it means you're not in a place right now to praise, like, I get it, I've been there. Like, if you're just confused or you're in a lot of pain and you're like, I just don't have praises in me, well, then you need to be around the people that are just going to praise for you. And you, so you have to hear it. Especially in times that are tough, because your mind and heart need to be redirected to the hope of Jesus' death and resurrection. Because the world, if you, if you don't find it in the church community, they, the, the problem is, is the world will offer a hope in policies, uh, better medicines, 
uh, uh, distractions, ideas, strategies, which those are great, guys. Great. Love those. I really do. Uh, but the thing about gospel people, a gospel community, the thing about the scriptures is it doesn't offer really those things. It offers news. And you're like, well, I've had plenty of that. But the, that, there's a really important aspect to that. News means something happened. It's not an idea. It's not a strategy. It's, it, it's, it's an event that happened in time, in history, and you must now grapple with it. Like, you must now go, okay, things must be different now. The minute something, like, what, what you see on your regular news feed, a lot of it isn't news. It's stories. But, like, news means something happened, and now the world's different because of it. Right? That's what news is. The gospel, it's news. It's good news. Now you've got to wrestle with what it means and how it changes the world. So, uh, it's news that if you let into your life and you grapple with it, it's going to swallow up your hopelessness, your cynicism, your pessimism, all your self-help strategies. Um, even while, and this is beautiful, you're crying. You're crying. And you're still like praising. That's fascinating. That's the beauty of it. Like It doesn't shove out your pain. It just swallows it up and you have this like anchor and you're able to stand on something that has some sense of stability even while you cry. I would tell you, and if, for those in the room that are, have been Christians for a long time, you know this is probably true. But like don't come here in pain if you think that this is the place to get distracted or be numbed out. This is going to be the place that you're going to feel more. You're going to feel deeper joy and deeper sorrow. Christian people are the people that feel Secondly, keep showing up or root yourself, if you're not already, in a community where you can push through your trials with wisdom. Peter speaks of trials not just as a random or set of random horrible setbacks, but he, calls them, he talks about them as necessary parts of the process of refinement, right? Just like gold, uh, which is taken out of the ground, needs to be put under pressure and high heat to get the impurities out of it, right? Um, your faith... And life, which is being shaped into the image of Christ, conformed into the image of the Son, the Bible says. That's what's happening to you as a Christian. So um, just like it's being shaped in the image of Christ, because of that, it needs a process of refinement. So a resurrection community looks at the trials of today and asks the harder questions. We, so in other words, we don't band together to simply praise and cry together, although that's wonderful. And we should do that. But that's not all that we do. We band together and we come together to search out the ways that our faith is being put under pressure in high heat. We process it and talk about it together. That's what really happens in good gospel-centered community. A true resurrection community doesn't look for people to hate or to push out. There's plenty of that going on in the world. A resurrection community doesn't look for people to place all the blame on. A resurrection community comes together, it looks to God, and says, what's being burned up in me? I'm part of the problem, not them. Not those people that vote that way. Not those people that said that thing. I'm part of the problem, God, and you are refining me. 
What is being burned up in me? And then I talk to you about it. <laughs> but I don't yell at you. Right? I say, here's what I think is being burned up in me so that my faith goes deeper. So the question I'm, 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 you know, we should be asking is the resurrection community, we come together, is, is, is we say, hey, 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 what is being refined in you? Like, like is what's being burned up um, gratitude, love, your sense of peace and joy? Or is what's being burned up in you, right, burned off from you, your anger and your resentment and your bitterness? Are those what's being burned off? Are your trials burning up your gratitude and shock of grace or your deep-seated love of control and your own ways of being prideful and selfish? Listen, hear me, Let's, um, and, and then we'll go to the bread and the cup. If you don't do this, let me assure you of this. this I've had a long time to think about this. I've been on a sabbatical. <laughs> if you don't do this, and I'm here with you in it, if you don't do this, your wounds, your wounds, whatever they are, and you have them and they matter, but your wounds will only cause you to wound other people. If you don't do this, if you don't ask the harder question and look at the resurrection hope and say, what is it burning up and refining in me? But Christ has made a way for something different. So as a community, we take the bread and the cup and we think about the fact that it's not just his wounds, right? But the fact that he was raised despite his wounds, that he was raised from his wounds, that we can be and do something different. Now, because of COVID, this is how we do it now. And so if you're unfamiliar with this, this is the Lord's communion. We take this together as a community uh, to represent the Lord's death, to proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. This little wafer at the top that you take represents Christ's body, and the juice at the bottom in the cup represents his blood shed. And all we're doing there is trying to eat down and drink down the reality that he took on our punishment and he was raised for our justification. It's all we're doing. And we're saying it and hoping and believing in it and holding on. And you don't do anything other than that. You think about the things that you need to lay down. You think about the things that you've done wrong. Sure, sure, sure. But God is not angry. He is with you. And he is changing you. Thank you for coming this morning. If you don't know anything about this place, you need to learn more about this gospel, please reach out. We will help you. Take whatever time you need and enjoy the rest of our service. Let us pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. And may as we come to the bread and the cup, we remember that it is by your mercy that you took this on, not because somehow we did anything that proved ourselves to you. All we did was show that we were incapable. But you stooped down, the divine touched down, and gave us a great hope. You tore a hole in the world and you invited us into a possibility. It's shocking, really, when we think about it. And may we be a community that thinks more and more and more about it. Thank you, God, for your love and your mercy. It's in Jesus' name, amen.